to your attention uh, this morning as we get ready to open the scriptures together. Um, first of all, with this many people from our church uh, traveling internationally, I can't tell you how important it is for each of us to be actively engaged in praying for them. Um, it's not enough for us to commission them in prayer, but if you will latch on to one of these folks, um, I know Aaron has little tiny microscopic Aaron prayer cards. And if you'll see her, she'll give you one of those for you to intercede. You can hang out in the lobby after the service here. Okay. Um, and uh, Jean, where's Jean? Jean, you going to be able to email stuff out from where you are, or are you going to be too far in the sticks? You hope so. So if, if you want to receive some prayer requests from Jean while he's gone, just slip him your email address uh, after the service. He's the guy in the tie. Um, and of course, uh, Caitlin and Thomas in the second service, they, uh, they are eagerly gathering people who pray for them. Can't tell you how important it is. Uh, once you know that, that is, of course, my expectation of you, that you'll, you'll, you'll join us in this as God has given us this great responsibility and privilege. Um, secondly, talking about privileges, um, over the summer... Lots of people travel at North Wake. They do not take their children with them. They stay here in the nursery. I don't know how that works. Their parents go on exotic vacations. They, the kids stay in our children's ministry. I haven't worked that out yet, but it does mean that there are some um, substitute opportunities in our children's ministry. If you would consider subbing once, maybe twice this summer... I think you could really uh, make Stephanie Jackson's life much more joyful. And there is a large sign-up opportunity in the lobby. If you just pick a Sunday when you'd be willing to be a sub, there's, there's a chance you may not even be called. But if you could pick a Sunday or maybe two that she could have you on the list uh, of kind of backup, backup people, you'd be like third string, um, and you might get called that Sunday. That would be a huge help after the service if you would just... On your way out the door, jot your name down uh, if you're available to do that, especially if you've been screened for a children's ministry. Um, you can assume if you, have that, if you have that qualification that God is calling you to sign up. So uh, if you'll do that, that would be really, really helpful. All right, let's pray. We'll open the Bible up together. God, um, we, we hear voices all week long. Skillful people talking to us. They sell us things. They convince us of things. Now give us ears to hear you. That we would have the spirit-given ability to sift through the words I will speak and hear yours in the midst of it. Help us to receive that with gladness of heart. And feet that are quick to obey, quick, quick to do what it is you're about to prompt us to do. And God, we do believe that uh, you are about to speak to us. Help us be ready, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the moving truck pulls up across the street. And they're starting to unload. You pull the blinds up and you look across the street and you see what's coming out of the truck. And even from your house, just by what they unload, by what they drive, by what they wear, by how they look, or the way they talk, you can tell a lot about 
who your neighbors are fixing to be. You can tell if they're Yankees or Southerners. You can tell if they're richer or poorer than you, which is all that matters. Um, You can tell if they're loud or quiet, if they smoke or drink. You can tell if they're black or Hispanic, if they're likely church folk or likely not. You can tell if they have kids or not. You can tell if their kids are going to be trouble or not. You can tell if they have tattoos or not. You can tell if they like hip-hop or country. You can tell if they like to ride motorcycles or have a boat. If they root for your team or not. If they like Obama or Rush. Bumper stickers tell you a lot about a person. You can tell a lot just from your house even before you cross the street. And it's entirely possible that you might see something or hear something that gives you pause. Makes you not even want to cross the street. Makes you wonder if you should cross the street. May, may even make you wonder if it's safe to cross the street. And welcome these people into your neighborhood. Something that might make you think, oh, there goes the neighborhood. Can you think of something like that? Something that, that might give you pause or has given you pause? Something that could be unloaded off the truck that would make you rethink whether or not you ought to cross the street and engage these people or welcome them into your neighborhood? If you can think of such a thing, and, and honestly, if you're thinking rightly and being honest, almost all of us have experienced something like that where we've met somebody, encountered somebody, and and we've kind of stepped back a step. If you can think of something like that, and almost all of us can, then the Apostle Paul has something to say to you. He wants to say to you, for the love of God, cross the street. I'm paraphrasing. But if you want to look with me at the back end of 1 Corinthians 9, I think you'll find it's a good paraphrase. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, the latter part of the chapter, starting in verse 19, this is what Paul says to us. By virtue of his example, he says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having a law, To the weak I became weak, to win the weak I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul is holding himself up as an example to the church in Corinth, to the church at North Wake. And by his example, he is saying, for the love of God, cross the street. Um, He is 
urging us to follow his example. His words here anticipate the way he's going to close out this section of the letter at the back end of chapter 10 when he says this. He says, I try to please everybody in every way, not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul is, he is Mr. Missional here. He is on a mission. He is intentionally living his life so as to bring as many to faith in Christ as possible. Five or six times he says it. I live this way to win these people. I live this way to win those people. Win, 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 so that I might save some. And he says to us today, follow my example. Cross the street. Okay? Cross the street. Follow my example. And it's important to notice in the first verse of our text how it is that Paul anticipates doing this. He says, though I'm free, not a slave, I belong to no man. I make myself a slave or a servant to everyone to win as many as possible. The gospel advances by means of humble servants. That's Paul's posture. He doesn't say, I preach at everyone, though he was a preacher. He doesn't say, I debate with everyone, though he was a great apologist. He says, I, I become a servant. I become a slave to everyone. The many, Paul is saying to us, are one to Christ by those of us who will adopt the posture of humble servants to those across the street from us. That's how the gospel advances. Bill White tells an interesting story. He writes that during a Saturday afternoon community service day, he was walking down a narrow side street in the city of Compton, California, heading towards one of the work sites sponsored by a local church. It was towards the end of the workday, and dozens of yellow-shirted church volunteers, maybe 50 in all, were streaming out of the site, getting ready to head off to lunch after finishing a complete makeover of a local house. He says, I was six or eight houses away when I passed a married couple working in their own yard, and I paused to compliment the woman on her roses, and she asked me what we were doing down the street. And I replied, we represented a band of churches united in our desire to serve the city. And we continued chatting about the radical neighborhood transformation she had witnessed by our simple acts of goodness. Now, during my conversation with this woman, he says, her husband had been weed whacking the other side of the front yard. But when he looked up and saw my yellow volunteer shirt, he turned off his weed whacker, set it down, started walking straight towards me and his wife. He says, I will never forget his words. After looking into my eyes, he nodded approvingly towards the renovated house down the street and then said, I love your heart. Where can I get a heart like yours? Flabbergasted, Bill said, I simply said, we got our hearts from Jesus and he would be glad to give you one like his too. He says, before I had to head off, we had a great conversation about the unparalleled gospel of Jesus Christ and his power to change hearts, homes, neighborhoods, and cities. The gospel, Paul is saying by his example to us, 
is spread by humble servants. And he says in the next couple verses, he will serve anyone. And he, he says to the Jews, came like a Jew to win the Jews. Those under the law came like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having a law, became like one not having a law, although I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having a law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men, so by all possible means, I might save some. He goes through four groups of people here, the Jews, those under the law, those without the law, and the weak, and he says, um, trying to win each one of these. And it's really not about figuring out who each of the groups are. Paul is simply using them to say, I want to win everyone. No matter what their background, their skin color, their political persuasion, their bank account, for the love of God, Paul is saying, I will cross the street, any street, for anyone. He's just saying, I want to reach them all. And And he has done what he says. He's saying there, he actually has entered the world of the Jew from that background. He says, I enter their world. I I live with their dietary restrictions so I can live some, you know, I can win some. And he says, I I hang out with the Gentiles and I go to the pig pickings so I can win some. You know, I, I hang around with those with weak consciences and I don't, I refrain from eating meat sacrificed to idols to win some. I become all things to all men. And he really has. Paul's done this. So that by all possible means he might save some. He has entered their world. He's entered their culture. He's been in their living room. He's limited his freedoms. He's given up his rights. He's laid down his preferences to share the love of Christ with them. Now, though Paul is not constrained by all the Jewish dietary laws and things like that from the Old Testament anymore as a follower of Christ, he's not without law. He says he's under the law of Christ, the law of love. So he's not saying, just to be clear, you do drugs with the addicts or get drunk with the drunkards or swap wives with the wife swappers to tell them about Christ. No, no. The law of Christ, the love of Christ constrains us as believers But at every permissible entry point, every one, Paul's entering their world. At every opportunity, Paul's crossing the street. We have a a ministry here at the church called the Care Ministry. It's a beautiful thing, and maybe some more of you will be involved in it. People come to our church with financial need. And they sit down with a couple of our volunteers and, and maybe one of our pastors and Uh, We assess their need, both uh, financially and spiritually, and we speak of Christ to them, and we do the best we can to help them with their power bill or their rent money or their grocery bill or whatever it is that they need help with. Um, And one of the guys in that ministry made a connection with one of the ladies, and so uh, they helped her financially, prayed for her, shared the good news about Christ with her. Uh, went by her house later with another, another guy just to check on her, and they met her boyfriend there. S- starts hanging out with the boyfriend. Starts, starts playing basketball uh, with the boyfriend over in their neighborhood. Um, 
Starts giving him rides when he needs rides places. Why is he doing all this? He's entering their world. He's crossing the street to share the love of Christ. Let's go back to the question I raised at the beginning. What stops you from crossing the street sometimes? From entering someone's world to lead them to Christ. What stops you? Sometimes differences can stop us. Um, race is still a big one. If your daughter bring, brings home somebody of a different race, how do you deal with that? A friend who isn't your race. They welcome in your home. Gladly, graciously welcome in your home. If three families from another culture rent the house across the street and all pile out and move in there, how does that affect you? You have more for dinner? You know, dress can do that. If somebody sags or she's got piercings all over the place or you, know, you welcome them, you extend the love of Christ to them, does it give you pause? Politics can do that. That Obama sticker can stop some of you right in your tracks. For some of you, if you hear Rush, you're out of there. What if they're rabid Duke fans? Does that stop you? You laugh, but some poor San Francisco Giants fan got beat into unconsciousness at a Dodgers game recently just because he's wearing the wrong sports paraphernalia. And, of course, the Dodgers fans have some pent-up frustration uh, this year, as you know. Um, what if they don't speak English? What if they drink beer out on the porch? What if they listen to music that's too loud and too late? What if they are lawn irresponsible? Uh, Pastor Steve Shogren writes a great story. He says, not, not long after we moved into our first house in California, my wife, Janie, and I um, picked up on tension between a couple of our neighbors. One was a very outspoken churchgoer, while the other was an unbeliever. He says, I knew I was in the hot seat when the unchurched man struck up a conversation with me as we were both working in our yards. He says, say, Steve, aren't you a pastor? He says, it seems implicit in the public's understanding that pastors exist to serve as referees in times of conflict. So I, I reluctantly listened as this troubled man opened up about the neighbor he'd never understood. He unfolded a long history, numerous conflicts over small issues. And then he looked up and sighed. This is, this is the unbeliever talking to, to Steve. He says, uh, but the most recent problem takes the cake. We received a letter from his attorney threatening to sue us if we didn't trim a tree that borders his yard. It seems strange he didn't just come over and ask me to take care of the tree before he went to his attorney. And then with a little wink, he says, this unchurched man continued, you know, I was getting ready to trim that tree, but now there's no way I'm going to do anything until he forces me. And that's what he says. He says, I'll gladly go to court just so I can have a story to tell about being sued by Christians over an orange tree. 
for the love of God, cross the street, okay? Cross the street. What stops you from crossing the street or the hallway or the cubicle at work or the ocean? What stops you? Is there somewhere you won't go? Is there someone you won't have over for dinner? Paul says, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Follow my example, he says, as I follow the example of Christ. And then in the next verse, he shares a little bit of his heart. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul does it for the gospel. He loves the story of his Savior that rescued him. You know, Paul was a religious extremist hunting down and persecuting those who disagreed with his faith. And God rescued him. And he loves the gospel because of that. He wants everyone to hear the gospel because of that. He says, so that I might share in it. This says that I might share in its blessings. And there are two main ways to think about this. Both are, are, uh, are valid biblical ways to think about it. One is that Paul is thinking that I might share in its blessings, that I might share in the gospel in the sense that my salvation would be made sure. That by my faithfulness, my faith is made evident and I'm, I'm made, it's made sure for me. Another way to think about it is that he's talking about sharing in the work of the gospel. That by being faithful to what God's called him, he'll have the joy of continuing to be useful to God in this way. And um, the more I study this, the more I go back and forth and kind of the last smart person I read wins. And right now, the last smart person that I've read has pushed me towards that second option. That what Paul's concern here is not so much his own salvation, but it is um, the ability to continue to be useful to God in the proclamation of the gospel and spreading it out. He wants, he does not want to relinquish that. He does not want the church to relinquish that. His great concern, as we see at the back end of chapter 10, is that we would follow his example as he follows the example of Christ in the spread of the gospel, in proclaiming the gospel. So, I'll, I'll kind of work this text through that way, and um, it's entirely possible that uh, Jeff may take the other angle in the next couple of weeks as he takes us through chapter 10, uh, and he's going to have more time to look at it than I did, so. And he's a little more orthodox than I am anyway, so. Um, but don't miss Paul's heart here. He, he loves the gospel, and And he is not want to be sidelined from the proclamation of the gospel. It's his life. It's his calling. And he is pushing the church to be faithful in this. He doesn't want us just sitting on the sidelines of this wonderful mission of God. And he continues continues in the next couple verses. He says, do you not know... Then in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. 
Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And there were, there were games in Paul's day. Uh, the, of course, the Olympics were going on. There were other games, the Isthmian games that went on in Corinth right there um, on a periodic basis. And they, just like modern Olympics, you know, you won, you stood on the podium, you got the reward. And the, the reward in that day, the crown in that day, was made of celery. I'm not kidding. And so it's this beautiful contrast. You know, Paul says, they do it for celery. They train that hard for celery. How much more will we train for the praise and the pleasure of God on our life? And again, um, those crowns that he's talking about there, it, it could be that the crown he's thinking about is salvation itself. The angle I'm taking today is that it's, it's more he's thinking about the crown is the people that he's going to lead to faith in Christ. He likes to use this language. He uses it in 1 Thessalonians. He says, what's our hope? What's our joy? What's our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. He continues in verse 26. He says, Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I train hard. It's not about his body. He's still drawing on that illustration from the Olympic-type games. He's saying, I train hard too because I don't want to be disqualified. It could be that he means I don't want to be found outside of salvation, but I think his main emphasis here is I don't want to be disqualified from usefulness to God in the proclamation of the gospel. I want to be in the game. And he wants the church to be in the game. He's calling the church, he's calling us to the same level of intentionality and discipline spiritually than an Olympic athlete gives um, physically. Back in the games in Paul's day, some of them, uh, you were required as an athlete to train for 10 months. If you didn't train, you were disqualified. Paul says, I don't want to, I want to be in the game. I want to be in the gospel proclaiming game. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I want to be useful to God in this. And he's longing for that for us as well. That we would be faithful to our God-given mission to cross the street and enter the world of our neighbors so they can know our Savior. The training here is mission-specific. Paul's talking about training for the advancement of the gospel. And so let's think just a little bit about what kind of intentional training will make us useful to God in leading others to Christ. What might that look like? Let me just give you a, a couple of suggestions out of many. One, we would be intentional in prayer. That as a people, if we're serious about being useful to God and leading others to Christ, 
being intentional in prayer. And the obvious one is praying for your neighbors, praying for the people across the street, across the hall at school, across the cubicle at work, praying for them. This is Paul's own example in Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Intentional, passionate, praying for those across the street from us. Do you do that? Is that regular for you? Um, Praying for those around you? There's, you know, a phenomenon that goes on now called prayer walking. There's a guy in our church who has modified it. He does prayer jogging. And he knows that that there's a group in our church that are praying for the east side of our community that where there are a lot of needs um, spiritually and financially. And so he started jogging. This little skinny white guy is jogging through that neighborhood. It takes him sometimes about two or three hours to jog three miles. He's not that slow, but whenever he sees somebody in the neighborhood, whoever it is, he stops and says, hey, I'm jogging. I like to pray. I do my best praying while I jog. Can I pray for you? And so he's stopping people. This little skinny white guy running through that neighborhood over there, stopping people, and he's stopped. He's been right in the middle of drug deals and stopped and said, hey, can I pray for you guys? I'll do my best praying. Why is he doing that? He's just crossing the street. He's just entering their world. And he's being intentional about praying for them. Of course, the other side of that is being intentional about praying for ourselves. And actually, the New Testament says more about praying for ourselves than it does about praying for the lost. Uh, Paul's own example is really instructive in this. In Colossians, he says, Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am changed. You pray for opportunities. So a regular part of our praying should be, God, open up a conversation somewhere. So that I can share about you. I can speak of you. I can share your story. We pray for opportunity. We pray for words to say and boldness to say them. Paul again in Ephesians 6 says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me. So that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. A lot of times we're afraid to speak because we don't know what to say. Paul says, pray. By example, he says, pray for words. Pray for opportunity. Pray for words. And he says, um, for which I am an ambassador. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly that I should. We pray that we'd be bold, that we'd have opportunities. We'd know what to say, and we'd say it boldly uh, when it comes time to say it. Um, Before I leave this matter of intentional training in prayer, one of the things that God is um, pressing upon me is praying with faith. Understand what Paul's not saying. He's not saying... um, I, I become like the Jews in order to speak to the Jews. I become like the Gentiles so I can talk to the Gentiles. It's not what he says. He says, so I can win some. His expectation in the power of God is that God is going to use his speaking to bring people to faith. It's, it's, it's not enough for Paul to just speak. He wants, to, he wants to win some in his, his language. And I've been thinking in Matthew 9 a lot lately just about this deficit in my own prayers and how it lacks faith. 
It lacks confidence in God's power. There's a, an amazing story. There's a whole series in Matthew 9 if you want to read more about this. But here's one. Jesus has just done some amazing things like raise people from the dead. Word gets out, and as he's traveling from there, two blind guys are following him. Think about that. Two blind guys are following Jesus. I don't know how that works. But they're calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind guys follow him indoors. These are men desperately seeking Christ about this matter. So that somehow two blind guys follow him and find their way into the room where Jesus is. I don't know how they did that. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And that's really the question. God says to us, do you believe that if you walk across that street and build a relationship with that guy, that I'm able to bring him to faith, that I'm able to transform his heart, change his eternal destiny? And they say, yes, Lord. And Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored, and Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. Um, Without doubting his power and hoping in his mercy, we need to pray for the people across the street from us. We need to pray for us when we go that God really can use us. He really will use us. And so our training involves intentionality in prayer. It also involves intentionality in loving our neighbors. Jesus says, this is the deal. Okay? Teacher of the law comes to Jesus, Mark 12, big debate. Jesus gives a good answer, and so this guy asks him, of all the commandments, what's the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second one is this, Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. These are the most important things. This is what matters most in our lives. Loving our neighbors well is a huge deal. So we want to step across the street with intentionality and enter their world as humble servants and love them. I love the story that Bill Hybels uh, tells. The teller of the story um, is an African-American Muslim in the South, which makes for a socially toxic posture. Okay, this is what he says. He says, one night I'm at a party. As usual, I notice several small circles of people forming to chat about this or that being Muslim. I wasn't included again. But I've become accustomed, he said, to that scenario. At one point, he says, I see a man on the other side of the room engrossed in discussion with a few people of his own kind, if you will. Suddenly, he looked away from that particular group, noticed me standing alone by the far wall. He says, this is exactly how it happened. He says, Bill, he extricated himself from this conversational clique, walked clear across the room, stuck out his hand to me, and introduced himself. He says, you know, it was so easy and natural. The Muslim man continued, in the moments that followed, we talked about our mutual profession, about our families and business and sports, and eventually our conversation found its way to issues of faith. I took a risk telling him that I was Muslim. I was a little hesitant 
about how he'd respond. He told me he was a Christ follower, but that truth be told, he knew almost nothing about Islam. He says, you can imagine my surprise when he asked if I would do him the courtesy of explaining the basics of Islam over a cup of coffee. Do you hear the wisdom of this and the humility of this? He says, can you believe that? He said he was a curious type and genuinely wanted to understand my faith system and why I devoted my life to it. He said, the next time we met, whatever doubts I had about him truly wanting to hear my beliefs were quickly dispelled. He really sought to understand my life and faith. We began meeting almost weekly, and each time I sat across from him, I was stunned by what an engaged and compassionate listener he was. One week, I even took the opportunity to ask him about his beliefs. I'd been a Christian as a kid, but had left God, left the faith, left it all because the church my family attended was so racially prejudiced. I wanted no part of that Christianity. And when the tables turned and I was on the receiving end of, of his faith story, he patiently described why he'd given his whole life to this person named Jesus Christ. I couldn't believe how easily the conversations evolved and how respectfully and sensitively he conveyed his love of God. Despite our deep-seated religious differences, we were becoming fast friends. He says, it went on this way for some time as we met, we'd meet to hash through nuances of our faith experiences. Sometimes he would ask a couple of days to find answers to my questions. Other times he knew exactly where I was struggling seemed to have the perfect words to untangle my confusion. There finally came a day, I remember being home alone when this happened, that I felt totally compelled to pray to God. I knelt beside my bed, told God everything I was feeling, and in the end gave my life to Jesus Christ. Step into their world, a posture of a servant, and love them well. Our training involves intentionally loving our neighbors. How is that going for you, really? Your neighbors know that you love them? Do they even know you? When was the last time you had a neighbor in your living room? Um, we had some neighbors over the other night for ice cream, made some homemade ice cream. Had a great time with them. Got, some of them were brand new in the neighborhood. Got to meet them and hear some of their story, hang out with them. They've got a couple young kids. And uh, their kids are just out in the neighborhood all the time. One little boy, he's seven, he shows up at our door uh, in search of Josiah. And he rings the doorbell and rings the doorbell and rings the doorbell until you come. And then he says, is, is he here? Because he, he can never remember his name. Well, his five-year-old sister shows up the other day while Steph's home. And she rings the doorbell, and Steph goes to the door, and, and little Zoe is there, and Zoe says, have you got any food? <laughs> and so Steph says, excuse me? And, and Zoe says, hey, have you got any of that food? And she says, what food do you mean? She said, that ice cream, because we had homemade ice cream last time. And Steph says, no, no, I don't have any more of that, but you can come in if you want to. So Steph invites her into the kitchen. She comes into the kitchen. She's standing in the kitchen, kind of checking out her kitchen. She points at the pantry. She says, you got any food in there? <laughs> and so Steph says, well, it's almost dinner time. I'm not sure how much food I should give you. And she ends up getting away with some grapes, I think is what she escaped with. But, um, you know, because my wife lives in our home with me and not just me, little Zoe was greeted with something other than Amscray. Josiah's not here. Go bother somebody else. She was welcomed into our home with the love of Christ. Um, 
I don't know what good will come of that. But I know that we have to be intentional in loving our neighbors. That's part of our training, to be useful in the gospel. Last thing I'd say we need to be intentional about today is uh, in knowing and telling the story. Um, you can call it know and tell, okay, if you want to remember it. If someone asked you how they could have a heart like yours, could you tell them in a couple of minutes? Could you share the essence of the good news, the gospel story with them? Could you tell them about the Savior you love? Could you do that in a concise and clear and engaging way? Peter urges us. He says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Could you do that? Yesterday, uh, we had a wedding here at the church. Uh, Cameron Armstrong and Jessica Lillibridge got married. And afterwards, um, we went down to the factory for the uh, reception. And as part of the reception celebration, Cameron gets up and he tells their story. Um, Cameron's a very soft-spoken young man. And he's telling their story tells about how they met, tells about their first date, and the story unfolds, and their engagement, and then he gets to the part about their future, and he says, uh, we don't exactly know what our future is. He says, I'm a seminary student, and we know our future is probably going to be given to people somewhere else in the world, and, uh, and it's all about the gospel. And then about two or three minutes, it didn't take him any longer than that, he shared the gospel story. This kind of shy, uh, quiet guy just beautifully told the story to his, his family and friends. Could you do that? Um, you know, this summer, every one of our small groups is going through really helpful equipping in a, in a resource um, in how to do that. Uh, it's called The Story. And uh, there's, uh, you've already been given these. Uh, at one point in time this year, George Robinson walked us through it beautifully. Um, and uh, there's some copies out on our information table. If you didn't get one, you can pick one up this morning. But all our small groups are going to go through that training. And then the beginning of our life change flip, our adult classes in the fall, those first four weeks will be given over to encouraging you and strengthening you and helping you be ready um, to give an answer uh, for the heart that you have. So don't miss this. By the end of the summer, you're without excuse. Don't miss this. This is really, really helpful stuff. Make sure that you get it. So, what street does God want you to cross? Whose world does he want you to enter? What right or preference or comfort does he want you to lay aside for the sake of the gospel? Is there anything that comes to mind that's a catch in your spirit when you think about that? That gives you pause? Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a prejudice. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just not caring. Um, let me encourage you. We're going to close our time. Worship team's going to come up now. And, um, we're going to close our time in, in song. But I don't, if God's prompting you today, 
about somebody across the street whose world you need to lovingly enter with the good news of Christ. Um, I want you to come for prayer during the song. And uh, if we've got any elders that aren't overseas or somewhere, elders, if you're a women's ministry leader, you want to come and uh, help us pray for these people, when you come forward during this song, uh, our, our leaders are just going to move amongst you and, and say, how can I pray for you? If you're a pastor here, jump down and help us pray for people. But um, let's, let's act on the prompting of God today during this time by seeking prayer. It might be that you, this is a time of repentance for you. You know you were supposed to cross the street and you just didn't. It might be that you are just deeply burdened for somebody and you are longing for the opportunity to step into their world and you want prayer for that. It's entirely possible, too, today, all this talk, you might be a guest or might just be on the outside looking in, trying to figure this out, and all this talk about winning makes you very um, uncomfortable. You feel like a trophy that someone's trying to win. Um, I, I hope that's not the case at all. Believe that's, that's not our heart in this at all. You shouldn't feel offended by this. You should feel loved. Somebody loved you enough to drag you to church today. And that's, that's love. For some of you, that ain't easy. And it, it is love. Um, the love of our Savior that is available to you today. And you may want to come and have one of our pastors pray with you about that. So we'll all be down here walking around praying for people. If you want prayer, just come and kneel down up here if you're able, and we'll do that. So let's stand. Let's worship our Savior, both in our response and in song.